Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Uh, you were blessed last week with, uh, with the word. Kev delivered it and uh, I'm looking forward to watching it later on at 7pm on Facebook and YouTube. And then I'll send in my critique. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking, Kev. I was hoping that, um, that this week, as we come to the final instalment of this period of time that we've gone through from the birth of Jesus right through now to what we're going to see is the very final moments before his ministry begins. I'm hoping that what we've done over the past few weeks is really just given us as a church some more insight as to what happened before Jesus' ministry began. It's important for us to know why all of these events took place, what they took place for, so that then when the ministry of Jesus does start, that we're certain how it came about, that we're educated and that we understand what the word says, so that when we start to see his ministry and the, the teaching of Jesus as we go through the New Testament, that we're really certain of the foundation from where it came. And this moment here this morning in John chap- uh, Matthew chapter 4, Alistair panicked for a minute there, in Matthew chapter 4 is really uh, something that is for us. It's for you and me. It's for the believer. It's for those of us that have accepted Christ as saviour. But also this moment in history This moment here that we're going to see is also for the non-believer. Somebody that would question who Jesus is. Question his divinity. Question his authority, his authenticity. So this passage speaks to all parties in the sense that those that know Jesus and those that don't yet know him as their own personal saviour. Now, if you can cast your minds back just a a couple of weeks, back into January, I know, and that I apologise for, all right? Well done, everybody. We made it out together. That's the world's longest month, isn't it? Why why do we have 31 days in January? Just, let's let's have a first February. You know what I mean? 28 days. Before we know it, February will be gone. That's just how February works. Anyway, so cast your minds just a little bit back to uh, a few weeks ago and I I presented to you um, Jesus as he got baptised in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and we've tried in the last few weeks, five weeks in total including this week although we had a a different uh, message last week but five Sundays in total to squeeze in 30 years. It's not bad going is it? Well, I was impressed. Clearly, you weren't. Um, But a few Sundays ago, I understand I covered quite a lot. Um, And I I wanted to explain, I needed to explain, the fourfold reason why Jesus needed to be baptised. And I hope that uh, uh, I didn't ruin your appetite um, for listening to the word. Prayerfully, we've got people in church this morning, which is good. Um, And I hear you had people in church last week as well. So that's also good. Um, But the facts and the details are so, so important. Context is so important. And this is what we always talk about at Hope, that everything that we do is from the word, that we make sure that the context is right and we make sure we know what we're talking about. So if it was a touch lecture theatre, of that I apologise for, but I will not apologise for making sure that we have got our T's 
crossed and our I's dotted. Because that is important, isn't it? That we know what the word is saying to us. So we can say then with confidence, as of all we've seen to this point, that God has been in absolute control. Amen? And we can also say with confidence that he is still in absolute control. Amen? We can be absolutely sure that God is in control. So as we read Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, remember then, cast your minds back, Jesus came up out of the water and in that moment is the first moment that we get of the Trinity all together. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And that moment there is the beginning for us to see that this is going to be the moment that people will now see as God says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So Father, Spirit and Son on full display. Now we can start. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was ravenous. (laughs) He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him on uh, to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If, the second time, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray as we look into your word right now that you would just speak to us through it. Father, you would give us clarity and understanding. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have. And I pray, Lord, that you will use me this morning so that we might understand these scriptures more clearly. We might understand what's going off here. We ask these prayers in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It's an incredible moment before Jesus begins his ministry. And there have been some standout moments. But I want to start, as I often do, um, those that come to Hope Church regularly... Um, I want to start at the end so that the beginning becomes more easily understood. So that we can start to understand what's happening and why it's happening. And at the end of, of that verse, the verses that we've just read, it says, The devil left him and the angels came and attended 
him. Now, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where John often preached. John the Baptist, as we saw a few weeks ago, indeed baptised Jesus. And as Jesus is led into the wilderness, then there the devil came to tempt him as Jesus had completed 40 days and nights of fasting. If you've ever fasted before, a few days is hard. Five days is really difficult. A week is, wow. To go beyond that, I couldn't tell you. 40 days and 40 nights without any sustenance, just the water. That is incredible. Now, at that point, we are, as if you've done any kind of been without food, I mean, after three hours, I'm hangry. Yeah? Anybody else with me there? After four hours, I could chew your arm off. I make, it is what it is. We're talking 40 days and 40 nights. This is hunger. And I know, because I'm human, that after just a day, I am not particularly strong. My willpower has, whoo, and that Mars bar that I was trying to resist becomes the only focus of my entire life. Anybody else? Now, Jesus here, at what seems to be at his weakest moment, the devil comes to tempt him. And the devil comes seemingly to try and trip him up and stop God's plan of salvation before it even starts. But Jesus, as he's been fasting for this time, has been preparing himself, firstly for this moment, but also for his ministry to come, making sure that everything that his focus is, is all about his mission that God has set him on. Now, the question for us in the first instance and answers the, the end of, of this passage is why, oh why, does this need to happen? And also then, not only why does this need to happen, but the question for the church is, could Jesus have failed in this task? So why does it need to happen? And could Jesus have failed in this task? And if he fails, therefore he sins. Now, this needed to happen because the first Adam and God's chosen people, Israel, both fell into temptation. We know that. We can read Genesis and we can read right through uh, the history of Israel in the Old Testament. They continued to fail. They continued to fall into temptation. Now, let me tell you this. The second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, cannot fail. It's impossible Jesus would not fail. Now the Bible tells us, and I'll give you some verses and you can have a listen to the recording or you can write them down quickly or I can share them with you after. Jesus would not fail. Why? Because he could not sin. Now listen, the verses are 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 1 Peter 2, verse 22, Hebrews 4 and verse 15, 1 John 3 and verse 5, John 14 and verse 30, and Hebrews 7, verse 26. Now I know I've gone too quick but you can get those verses again, as I say, after or from the recording. Now, it's important to check scripture, amen? Don't just take my word for it. Make sure the Bible says what I'm saying, because if I'm saying something that's contrary to this, this is not the church, amen? We have to stick to what the word of God says. Now, whether Jesus would sin 
or not wasn't the reasoning behind this moment recorded for us. Not at all. The reason was to prove to the doubters, to prove to those that aren't his, that he could not sin completely. Now, to put that into simple terms, there were some bridge engineers that built this bridge that went across a ravine, but they were cutting edge, okay? So they used methods and materials that nobody had used before. And they knew, because they'd done their calculations, that that bridge for the locomotives, for the trains that were gonna go over it, was absolutely, completely, and utterly strong enough to do what it needed to do. The problem was that because it was cutting edge, and because the materials were unfamiliar to the crowds that had seen it, all of a sudden, rumours started to spread. And they started to say, there's no way that that bridge is going to hold. In fact, there's no way that when the carriages are full, that that bridge is not going to collapse. Now, the engineers had a quandary. Because what do they do? They say, oh, the bridge will not fail. But you put somebody over the bridge when the rumour is that it will. So they devised a plan. They said, this is what we'll do. We'll get the heaviest locomotives that are available and we will put them in a line, one after the other, and we will run them across the bridge, backwards and forwards, and we'll do it all day. And we will invite everybody to come and see it. So everybody comes along and the locomotives go from one side to the other, to the other, and back, and back, and back. Now, the question is, was this to prove to the engineers that the bridge wouldn't fail? No. It was to show the crowds that the bridge would not fail, that the bridge was absolutely, completely, and utterly fit for the task that was ahead. And it's exactly the same with this moment here. Jesus isn't going into the, into the wilderness with the if, but, or maybe that he might fail, that he might sin. No. He's going into the wilderness. The Spirit has led him into the wilderness and the devil tempts him into the wilderness to show you and me that this second Adam will not fail. Amen? He will not. He cannot fail. It's impossible. Now, what we always have to remember when we talk about God and we talk about Jesus and the Spirit, the Trinity, Jesus was fully man. He was flesh and bone like you and I. But he was also fully God. Amen? He was fully God. He's fully man, yes. This is a mortal body. But he was fully God. And the devil's schemes then, now as we have unlocked the reality of why Jesus was there, could he fail? Answer is no. Now then, the devil's schemes start to make plain to us what's going off here. Actually, what happens here is Jesus, God is using the enemy to point out that God could not fail. The enemy is being used to show that Jesus will not, cannot fail. And it's had the opposite effect of what the enemy thought was going to happen. God has used it to bring about the absolute clarity that Jesus would not fail. The first 
temptation that we see in verse 3 is to fill his stomach. And when you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, I can imagine that I would probably fail. Anybody else? <laughs> he says to him, just turn the stones into bread. But you see, that in that moment would rely on his own resources. And Jesus says, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I took a step back from that and thought, how is that relevant to me today? Now, how often do I trust on my resources, my own capabilities? Listen, this is Jesus. This is God in flesh. If anybody could trust on their own resources in this moment, it was him. Yet what did he do? He said, devil, the man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, the first and foremost important thing is that I do the will of God. I do what God wants me to do, and I stand on that. Church, that is a massive lesson for us on a Monday morning, hey? When I lack the energy and the enthusiasm to get on with the week ahead, and I feel like the only way I can do it is to rely on my own strength and my own resources. No. We're to go to the Word. We're to pray. We're to worship. And know that we have a God who is there for us at every single moment. It's so impressive what the way that Jesus responds. And Jesus answers so clearly. And then the second temptation that comes along in verse 5 and 6. The enemy tells him to jump off the temple to prove his divinity. If you are who you say you are, then jump off the building. Because God says you will not strike your foot on a stone. But of course, in that moment, God, if Jesus had jumped, God would have had to intervene to stop Jesus' mortal body from hitting the ground. And thus, the enemy is questioning the plan that's at hand. And Jesus was not going to fall into that trap. Now, the third one actually shows us where the enemy's heart is. And if you've never seen this before, it's worth highlighting. The devil shows his true desire. He says this, he says, I will give you, Jesus, all the kingdoms of this world if you will bow down to me. He says, I will give you everything on this world. All you've got to do is bow down and worship me. And we see that in verse 8 and verse 9. Now I have another question here. Did the devil have the right to offer Christ all the kingdoms of the world? The answer is yes. And the verses that will help you see that are Revelation 13 verse 7 and John 14 verse 30. Now as the enemy was cast down to this world, he was given the powers and principalities to rule over it. They were his. The only reason they were his is because of sin. But although he got all of that, what did he actually desire? What does he still actually desire? He wants to be worshipped. And that is never happening. Amen? 
That is never happening. He wants so desperately to be worshipped. Listen, this shows the power and authority that Jesus had. You remember, as we go forward in time a little bit, what did it take to tempt Judas? Just 30 pieces of silver. And Satan here is offering everything he's got that God has allowed him to have. I'll put it all on the table. The stakes are high, okay? I'll put it all on the table. All you've got to do is worship me. And Jesus says, absolutely not a chance. You are to worship God and only God. And we see then that the greatness of Jesus is on full display because of what Satan offered him. But also we see the weakness in the enemy because all he desires is God's position. And I can tell you because I've read the end. He doesn't win. Amen? He does not win. In fact, I would argue he cannot win. Why? Because I've read the end. <laughs> and I'm absolutely certain that my God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. There is nothing that is outside of his control. The enemy only has the power because God has allowed it so. And God says, yes, that is for you. But I tell you what, you try and give it to my son and see what he does. The answer is no. Because Jesus knew full well that everything that needed to happen was to bring about something so special that it was beyond anybody's even wildest thoughts. The Bible says in Revelation that the angels look into the mystery of salvation and ponder. They are scratching their heads. Why, oh why God, would you rescue them? And they are just confused. And this is the joy of salvation. The Bible tells us in John, 1 John, God is love. And his love in this moment is on full display. Jesus did not take up any of this temptation. Why? Because he thought of you. <laughs> he thought of you. Because I have to complete the mission that God has put me on because you matter. Isn't that incredible? You matter. In this moment, you matter. Let me tell you this morning, in 2023, you absolutely matter. And all of this is to show you today, if you don't know Christ as your own personal saviour, that the second Adam will win. The second Adam will not be defeated. The second Adam will not fall into temptation. He is not weak as the first Adam was, but instead he has completed all that needed to be done so that when the moment comes, the cross is just around the corner. When that moment comes, the perfect Lamb of God would have his body broken and his blood shed for you. Him who knew no sin took sin upon himself and dealt with it, as Aubrey shared with us this morning in the breaking of bread. He took upon himself the full wrath of God. He bore all of that for you and me. Listen, he's the only one that could. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And that church is the truth that we have this morning. That Jesus was able to overcome. Jesus came out of the wilderness and he begins to preach. Look, just in the, the next heading, if you've got an NIV Bible, it says Jesus begins to preach. 
He has won. Jesus quotes as he tells the devil to, to get lost. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. And the discussion is absolutely over. The devil leaves him and the angels come and attend him. And there's a, a beautiful study as the angels come to the Lord throughout his ministry. Starting at this point here. And of course we've seen it before um, as the angels declared that he was coming. As they told the shepherds. But there's a real job for the angels to do through his ministry. It's a, a lovely study. Now his ministry begins. The path has been laid. God's mission and plan of love is on full display. And in our perfect saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only thing that we can say, church, as we've gone through these last weeks, seeing these moments to this point where his ministry begins, is Lord, thank you. Thank you that you would love us. Thank you that you would set this out for people like us, because we don't deserve it. But by his grace and by his mercy, we can receive life and life to the fullest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you once again this morning for your word, Father, for its blessing and for its encouragement. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to shape us and mould us into what you want us to be. Father, that we would live our life on mission for you. We thank you for our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for his obedience. Father, we thank you that he could not fail, that he was the perfect spotless lamb that we so desperately needed in order to come back into a relationship with you through him on the cross. And we pray, Lord, that as we continue our worship together, as we share uh, in a family time together after the service, that you would just bless us, Lord. Father, that we would just lift high the name of Jesus. We ask these prayers in our Saviour's precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.